Well, good morning. We've been studying the book of Joshua, and we're going to continue that this morning. We're getting near the end. I believe that's Brother Eddie's task next Sunday is to kind of wrap up the book of Joshua for us. Today we're focused on Joshua chapter 22 for the most part. We're going to start actually in Joshua chapter 1 because there's some set up verses there. We're going to read quite a bit today, so either you can read it with us on the screen or you can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 22 talks about two and a half tribes. We've referred to them a couple of times through our study. That's the tribes of um, that's the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So these two and a half tribes are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. That's where they're going to have their stake, their land stake of the promised land is going to be on the east side of the Jordan River. And in in uh, Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12, we find out about these tribes. It says, Then Joshua said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribes of Manasseh, Remember what the Lord's servant Moses told you. He said that the Lord your God would give you a place to live. So he has given you this land east of the Jordan River. But now you must help your relatives get their land. Your wives and children can stay here with your animals. But all your fighting men must prepare for battle and lead the men of the other tribes across the river. The Lord has given you a place to live and he will do the same for your brothers, but you must help them until they take control of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you can come back and settle here on the east side of the river. This is the land that the Lord's servant Moses said would be yours. Then the people answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us to do. We will go wherever you tell us to go. So in the very beginning of the book of Joshua, we studied this many, probably a couple of months ago now. They come up to this Jordan River. They see into the promised land and they're about to go over. And Joshua tells these two and a half tribes, even though your land is on this eastern side where we're at today, you're going to have to send your men of war, your fighting men, in across the Jordan River with the rest of the other nine and a half tribes to take the promised land. Your wives and your children and your animals, you can begin to stay here and occupy this land on the eastern side, but we need your men of war to go across and help us take the land across the Jordan River. So if you remember the map, we've seen this a couple of times in in other sermons. We have, this is the Jordan River going right up here in between. And you've got the the, the Reuben land here, the, the tribe of Gad here. And the half tribe of Manasseh here and the other half on the other side. So these are the two and a half tribes that are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And it says, all of your fighting men have got to go across the Jordan and help us take all of this land from the people that inhabit it today to turn that into the promised land. So that's what he's talking about in Joshua chapter 1. So you've got the eastern Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, or the two and a half tribes that are on this side. And then in Joshua chapter 22, we begin with verse number 1, and it says, Then Joshua called a meeting of all the people from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Joshua said to them, Moses Moses was the Lord's servant. You obeyed everything that Moses told you to do. And you also obeyed all of my commands. All this time you have supported all the other Israelites. 
You carefully obey, obeyed all the commands of the Lord your God, all the commands the Lord your God gave you. The Lord your God promised to give the Israelites peace, and now He has kept His promise, so now you can go home. The Lord's servant Moses gave you the land on the east side of the Jordan River. Now you can go home to that land. But remember, continue to obey the laws that the Lord's servant Moses gave you. You must love the Lord your God and obey His commands. You must continue to follow Him and serve Him the very best that you can. Then Joshua said goodbye to them, and they left and went home. Moses had given the land of Bashan to half of the Manasseh tribe. Joshua gave the land on the west side of the Jordan River to the other half of the Manasseh tribe. Joshua blessed them and sent them home. He said, you have become very rich. You have many animals. You have gold, silver, and expensive jewelry. You have many beautiful clothes. You have taken many things from your enemies. Go home, divide these amongst yourselves. So the people from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Manasseh left the other Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan. They went back home to Gilead. This was their own land, the land that Moses gave them, as the Lord had commanded. They went to the place called Gilioth, near the Jordan River in the land of Canaan. There they built a beautiful altar. <clears throat> so they're in Shiloh, and we'll, I don't know if that was on the map that we just had or not. So Shiloh is right over in this area right here. It's kind of the center East and west and north and south. It's geographically close to the center, and that's where they're at right now. And he calls all the, 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 the families together, and he said, Manasseh and Gad and Reuben, all of you that are on the eastern side, we've got peace. We've accomplished our goals. We've got the land conquered. We're at relative peace, and you can go home. All you fighting men can now go back home to your wives and to your children and to your families and to your possessions on the on the eastern side of the river that you left when we crossed over. You're welcome to go home. But hey, we have some spoils. We have lots of stuff that we've gathered from our enemies. Take your portion of that. Take that home. Split it up amongst yourselves and have, um, and, uh, be at peace. But before, before they go, he tells them a couple of things. He says, you must love the Lord your God. You must obey His commands. You must continue to follow Him. You must serve Him the very best that you can. Then He tells them goodbye. And He tells them to go home. So, if we summarize these first 11 verses, I think it's very applicable to us today. So if you think about going out into the world, right? Wouldn't this be what any good preacher would tell you to do? (laughs) Go out into the world, but keep God first. Continue to follow Him. Keep Him in your heart. Do everything that you can to uh, make Him number one. Serve Him the very best that you can. And that's exactly what Joshua did to these folks. And and, And then he blessed them. But then they run into a pretty um, precarious situation. The very end of all of that verse says that when they got to, and I don't know if I'm saying this, uh, Gililoth, that's the way I chose to say it, Gililoth. Whenever they got there, they erected an altar. Now, this this particular town, we'll find out later, is actually on the children of Israel's side of the river. So it's on the west side of the river. So right before they leave, and cross over into their land, they erect an altar. So what's your immediate thinking about that? 
So he told him, he said, love the Lord, follow the Lord, blah, 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 blah. He gives them all these commands, sends them out into the world, and before they get out of sight, before they get out of the country, they're erecting an altar. What would, what would your thought be? Some of you may know the rest of the story, so that's not fair. But when you think about that, I mean, you've immediately got to go, what in the world happened? They, they were, we, we know that you can have no other God before us. We know that the Lord punishes this kind of, these kind of actions. And before you get out of the land, you erect an altar. Well, that's the very same response that all the rest of the children of Israel had. They're like, what in the world are they thinking? So their initial thoughts were these in Joshua chapter 22. But the other Israelites who were still at Shiloh, so they're here at Shiloh. This place is somewhere down in here. Some people think Gilgal and Gilioth were the, the same city, just different names. But they heard the altar was at the border of Canaan at the place called Gilioth. It was near the Jordan River on Israel's side. All the Israelites became very angry with these three tribes. They met together and decided to fight against them. So the Israelites sent some men to talk to the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And the leader of these men was Phineas, Phineas, son of Eleazar the priest. So they're wondering the same thing. And so they gather up the leaders of some tribes and they gather up this the priest Phineas and they go, hey, Go talk to these people. We're ready to go to war. We're ready to beat them up. We're ready to fight. What in the world are they doing building this altar? <clears throat> so I want to tell you a little bit about Phineas because I believe he's he's central in this in this in this in this little story, and I think it's important that we understand him. So in Numbers twenty-five verses one through twelve, there's a story about Phineas. Phineas has a reputation. It says, while the Israelites were camped near Acacia, the men committed sexual sin with the Moabite women. The Moabite women invited the men to come and join in their sacrifices and their false gods. So the Israelites joined in worshiping these false gods. They ate the sacrifices and worshiped these gods. There the Israelites began worshiping the false god Baal of Peor. That will come up later in our story. Baal of Peor. And the Lord became very angry with them. The Lord said to Moses, Get all the leaders of these people, then kill them so that all the people can see. I believe the King James Version says, Cut their heads off and hold them up. They're making a spectacle. They're making an example of these men that have committed this sexual sin with these foreign ladies. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must find the men in your tribe who have led people to worship the false god Baal of Peor. Then you must kill these men. At the time, Moses and all the elders of Israel were gathered together at the entrance to the meeting tent or the tabernacle. An Israelite man brought a Midianite woman home to his brothers. He did this where Moses and all the leaders could see. Moses and the leaders were very sad. Phineas, our character, that is the leader of this group that's going uh to uh, talk to the two and a half tribes. Phineas was the son of Eleazar and the grandson of Aaron the priest. So Aaron was the first priest. He's the grandson of Aaron. Phineas saw this man bring the woman into camp. So he left the meeting and he got his spear. He followed the Israelite into the tent. There he used the spear to kill the Israelite man and the Midianite woman in her tent. He pushed the spear through both of their bodies. At the time, there was a great sickness among the Israelites. 
But when Phineas killed these two people, the sickness stopped. A total of 24,000 people died from that sickness. The Lord said to Moses, I was so angry with the Israelites that I wanted to kill them. But Phineas, son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron the priest, has saved them from my anger. He did this by showing that he feels strongly, just as I do, that my people must worship only me. Tell Phineas that I am making a peace agreement with him. So Phineas, who's got very strong feelings about worshiping the one true God and that you're only going to worship him, worship this one true God, who has already killed two people to prove that that's what he believes, is the leader of this group that's going to these two and a half tribes to talk to them about why they have quit worshiping the one true God. Now, if you're the two and a half tribes and Phineas is walking towards you, spear in hand, leading this 10 or 12 men coming to talk to you. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be on edge, if not going the other way. I'm going to be on edge as this, uh, as this group of people approach me. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about conflict resolution this morning because I believe that that's what this deals with. I mean, this is, this is very applicable to conflict resolution. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about it as we kind of continue on through this story. But the first thing I want you to recognize about conflict resolution that the Bible tells us to do, lesson number one, is that we need to be active, we need to be diligent, and we need to resolve it immediately. So if you've got issues with your brother, if you've got issues with your husband, wife, spouse, kids, grandkids, church members... The Bible is very specific about the fact that it wants you to get those things handled quickly. Don't let them fester. Don't let them grow. As my old boss used to say, don't build mind monsters. It's about getting them resolved quickly. Jesus said this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. So Jesus says, if you're on the way to worship and you remember that you've got a problem with a brother, turn around and go solve the problem with your brother before you come worship. That's how important it is. He wants you to be at peace with your fellow man. The apostles said it this way, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. That's Paul talking in Acts keeping his conscience clear, that would mean that he would have good relations with his brothers. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone in Romans 12. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification in Romans 14. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So the Bible is clear. It's a pursuit. It's striving. It's, it's, it's not just sitting back and letting things kind of take their course. That's not what the Bible teaches us when we're in conflict. It teaches us to be active. It teaches us to be diligent. And it teaches us to fix those problems immediately. Don't let them build up and fester. Make every effort to live in peace in Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> so let's get back to our story here in Joshua chapter 22. So 
these, the Phineas plus these ten leaders from the tribes, they're at Shiloh, and it's kind of the center there of Israel, and they're sent on this mission. The very first thing they do when they get there, they say, all the Lord's people send us to ask you this. Why did you do this thing against the God of Israel? Why did you stop following the Lord? Why did you build an altar for yourselves? You know that this is against the Lord's command. So that's their opening statement to this, to, to these two and a half tribes. They're very, they're very upset about this altar that's been built on their land. They tell them, now I'm paraphrasing, remember what happened at Peor. We're still suffering from those sins today. Peor's where Phineas killed the two in the tent and they, 24,000 people had died and they're saying, man, we're still suffering from the sins at Peor and here you go building an altar some, to some other god. What in the world are you thinking? If you don't stop, the Lord's anger is going to be on all of Israel. They're afraid that even though they built the altar, they built it on their land, and that the Lord's going to take out His vengeance on all twelve tribes, not just the two and a half tribes that built the altar. They're like, they're like, we're all at risk here because of what you did. They go on to say, if your land's not fit to worship, we got plenty of land on the other side. Come over, be a part of us. If you can't set up, you know, if you can't worship the Lord the way it needs, He needs to be worshipped on your side of the river, come back with us to our side of the river. This, but we got, we just can't have this altar. They even say, remember Achan. We remember Achan, right? That was in the story here in, uh, in Joshua, where they took the city and Achan kept some of the spoils and him and his whole house and his animals and his wife and everybody were killed because of his sin. They say, remember that. Guys, we've got to get rid of this altar. We can't have it. We've got to get rid of it. We just can't have it. Have it. Pretty good arguments, right? You feel pretty good about that stance, right? If you're the if you're with Phineas, I, I mean, when first read it, not knowing the end of the story, feel pretty good about it, right? You're like, man, they're right. They're spot on what the Lord's told them. They're spot on. Well, the two and, two and a half tribes have an answer. Luckily, they were allowed to give it. They say, first of all, the Lord is our God. And again, we say, the Lord is our God. So we've heard that in, we've talked before about they use repetition to emphasize something, right? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They use those repetitions to mean that they mean it. Well, that's what they said here. Point number one, the Lord's our God. Point number two, the Lord is our God. Okay, well then, let's get some more information. He says, you can judge us. If you think we did this against the Lord, you may kill us. Okay, I'm listening. Um, We did not build it for burnt offerings or grain offerings or fellowship offerings. If you think that, have the Lord punish us Himself. Okay, why did you build it? Here's their explanation. We built it because we were afraid that in the future, your descendants might not accept us as part of God's people. So your children might say to our children, you people have no reason to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. So they were concerned I'll read these and then I'll kind of paraphrase. Future generations might think that the separation of the two and a half tribes was done by God because we were not fit to worship the Lord. That might cause our children to quit worshiping the Lord. So these were their concerns. The real reason we wanted our altar was to show our people that we worship the same God you do. 
Look, our fathers who lived before us made an altar. That altar is exactly like the Lord's altar at the holy tent. We don't use this altar for sacrifices. This altar is proof that we are a part of Israel. So Phineas and the priests, they understood. So here's the gist of what happened. They built an altar that was a replica of the altar that's at the tent. Right? So they built this altar with exact measurements, knowing full well what the altar had looked like. They, no one could have replicated here what was over here unless they'd worshipped there. They'd been integral. They'd been with it. So they built this altar as kind of a means to look across the river and go, we're still brothers with those people, those people and us. It was a connection. It was a monument, not an altar. It was a monument. I just got back from the city of monuments. We were in Washington, D.C. this last week. In every corner, there's a monument to something, right? It's not to be worshipped. It's to help you remember somebody or something or some event that happened so that maybe you don't repeat history, maybe you stick together, whatever. That was the purpose of this. It was a monument that was built there, an exact replica of what of the of the monument of the altar that was at the tent. And they said, "We're not burn, we're not burning offerings on it. We're not putting fellowship offerings on it. We're not doing any of that. It's it's not a it's not a worship symbol. It's a monument to connect." The two and a half tribes on this side of the river with the nine and a half tribes on this side of the river. And so when Phineas heard that, it says, Now we know the Lord is with us and you did not turn against him. The people of Reuben and Gad named the altar proof that we believe the Lord is God. So when you think about the approach that... Um, the children of Israel took. Uh, there, there's a verse over in Deuteronomy. I'll, I'll read this to you. So, the Lord had given them command, or uh, He had given them a command on how to, to interact with cities that they were living around that um, may or may not be um, uh, idolatrous. So, this is what He said in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse number 12: If thou shalt hear, if thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities, which is the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Then shall you inquire and make search and ask diligently, and behold, if it be true and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof, with the edge of the sword. And it goes on to say, you know, burn the spoils, utterly destroy the city. So they've been told, hey, when, when, when there's something that's fishy religiously going on in a city that's around you, go investigate it. Do it diligently. Go find out what's going on. Talk to them. Ask them questions. And if you find out that truly they're worshiping a God that's not your God, then utterly destroy the city. Kill everybody in it. Kill all the animals. Utterly destroy it. So I believe that that's what Phineas and these ten leaders were on their way to do. Because in the, old, in the King James, I believe it says they were ready to make war against the two and a half tribes to fight. This version says fight. So they meant what they said when they send Phineas as the leader to, to take this group and go visit. So what can we learn from all of this? Well, I was reminded of a passage in James. It says, 
Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you. You want things, but you don't get them. So you kill and are jealous of others. But you still cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God. Or when you ask, you don't receive anything because the reason you ask is wrong. You only want to use it for your own pleasure. Your people are not faith, you people are not faithful to God. You should know that loving what the world has is the same as hating God. So anyone who wants to be friends with this evil world becomes God's enemy. Do you think the scriptures mean nothing? The scriptures say the spirit God made to live in us wants us only for himself. But the kindness God shows is greater. As the scriptures say, God is against the proud, but he is kind to the humble. So give yourselves to God, stand against the devil, and he will run away from you. So I think the first thing that is important to us is is, is our motive. In, in Proverbs, it says hatred stirs up conflict. And we'll go through some more here in Proverbs. I know it's uh, <clears throat> it's some, uh, some of you's favorite book. So the first thing, or what James tells us, so we, we know that we need to get active, that we need to fix it immediately, and that we need to be diligent at uh, solving those problems. But the second thing we need to do, or maybe the first thing, I don't know if these are chronological or not, I spent a lot of time debating that in my head, but you got to figure out where your heart is. you got to figure out what your motives are. Why am I in conflict? Are they, as James says here in James 4, is it because I'm selfish? Is it because I'm seeking worldly things? Is it because I want a title? I want this. I want that. I want whatever. I want money. I want things. I want possessions. I want, I want, I want. Is that why I'm at conflict with this other person? Or these other people? So we have to examine our motives. It says here in Proverbs that hatred stirs up conflict. It says hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. A perverse heart stirs up conflict. Greedy hearts stir up conflict. An angry person starts, stirs up conflict. Proverbs is just full of different things about us that talks about our heart and how our heart stirs up conflict. <clears throat> so the ostrich principle is also ungodly. So this concept that I can just put my head in the sand and let it go away, we should confront perceived wrongdoings. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So Matthew says that on the other hand, you, you, you've got to go and do it fast. And the opposition to that is you can't, you've got to go take care of it. You can't just let it go. You've got to go and take care of the situation. Go and show him or her their faults. So in summary, address the conflict quickly. Open your hearts and evaluate your motives. Remove the chance of selfishness selfishness and be willing to see their side so if you play back the story that we read today in joshua if at the city of shiloh they had just said we're angry with these people we're ready to make war send them in a war send the army let's go take them out and had not been willing to listen to their side think about how that would have ended Two and a half tribes 
of the city of the of the uh, country of Israel would have been wiped out because of a misunderstanding, because they thought the altar was for worship, but the altar was a memorial to remind the future generations that they were actually connected to and part of the other nine and a half tribes. So sometimes we need to think about our motives. We need to make sure deep in our heart that we don't have something to gain. And that's why we're thinking the way we're thinking. That's why we're mad. Somebody has upset our pride. Somebody has whatever it is. Those are all selfish motives, right? Somebody says something to you that you think is beneath you or whatever it is. Somebody ridicules your children, whatever it is. Those are, those are, those are pride issues and we have to overcome those. So hopefully something we've said this morning has, um, made a difference. We went through that pretty, pretty quickly actually. Um, but when you think about the, the, the story, I think there's so many ways that could have gone badly had they not had the ability to listen and to self-reflect on the situation. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible about conflict. I know if uh, we'll have applications this afternoon, there's there, there's just a lot of stuff in the Bible about how to handle conflict with you, with your brother. And so hopefully something said this morning will, uh, if you've got some conflict in your life, if there's somebody you're having issues with, do some reflection of where you're coming from, where your heart is, and maybe be able, maybe rush to that brother or that sister and be able to fix that situation. If there's uh, needs of anyone, if anyone needs the prayers of the church, or if you'd like to become a member of the church, we'd be glad to serve you if you'd come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.